Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Series. I'm your host, Rob Parsons. I lead the content team here at Paychex, and we write extensively on a variety of HR topics, covering everything from HCM technology to team engagement to compliance with state and federal regulations. Joining me today is Dr. Deanna Kimbrell. Dr. Kimbrell has led the inclusion and diversity strategy here at Paychex for the last two years, focusing on enterprise-wide education, systemic interventions, and cultivating a sense of community and opportunity for all. Dr. Kimbrell holds a doctoral degree in management and organizational leadership and has over 13 years of experience in OD, HR, and higher education. Deanna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today and talk to you about uh, inclusion and diversity or diversity and inclusion uh, here at Paychex and also um, in just industry overall. Fantastic. Last we talked, it was actually face-to-face and not via Zoom meeting. We were actually in our cafeteria, corporate headquarters. Um, a lot has changed in the last few months. Uh, how, you, how have you and the team been holding up? Um, yeah, that it seems so long ago. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, we've been holding up really good and really pivoting um, to arise to the occasion of working from home um, and, you know, still meeting our overall objectives. So I, I think that we have pivoted well. So yeah, we're doing good. Excellent. Good to hear. Something I found really interesting last time we talked, uh, you and you brought it up that you made a very conscious decision to to call our strategy inclusion and diversity, not diversity and inclusion. Can you um, explain to our audience why you made that decision? The decision to lead with inclusion, um, it was an easy decision, just because we want to make sure that we are an inclusive environment first. Oftentimes, when people hear diversity. First, diversity and inclusion, a lot of times they're thinking about the numbers. So some people think we just need to have a particular quota, when in actuality, we need to have an inclusive environment to ensure that we are attracting and able to retain the diversity that we want. So it is really um, a strategy to look inward instead of outward, instead of saying we need more differences, we need more perspectives, we actually need to be more inclusive, and then we'll get those differences that we need to leverage in our business. I like that. I very much like that it's that's inward facing, which you know also plays into the fact you described it to us as a leadership strategy and and not necessarily just a business strategy. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Inclusion and diversity is going to start with leadership. Number 1 at our senior senior most leadership, our CEO, we need to make sure we have the commitment um, of our CEO to become more inclusive or to start to change our culture and start to embed inclusiveness into our culture. We need to have the support of our senior leadership um, and our CEO because they are the leaders and, and they are the ones who are going to be the catalyst of change within the organizations and really leaders at all level. So we are they are responsible for cultivating the environments that we need for inclusiveness. Um, and it starts with them. They are our role models and um, they are the ones who will actually be implementing the changes that we want to see. And I've seen that firsthand uh, in one of my own leadership classes. Uh, you came in and spoke with all of us frontline leaders uh, about this very topic. 
I think at all levels of leadership, it needs to be understood and it also needs to be role modeled for everyone else in the organization. I, I like how you talked about it being role modeled because to me that means it's it's not just some kind of objective checklist that I've got to go through, but there's a, a more personal layer there that I, that personally as a leader, as a manager, I need to to understand and make certain commitments that maybe I wouldn't have to make with other types of business activities. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, Rob. When we are thinking about an inclusive leader or the inclusive leader, it really is a holistic approach to who you are as a person. And it, and it also starts outside of work. So learning more about who you are, about the biases that you have, about the society around you and how you understand things, how you make decisions in and outside of work is all a part of becoming an inclusive leader. So it's a win-win situation, Rob. You become a good person, a better person, a more aware, self-aware person, as well as a better leader um, in the organization. Are there some examples of where this approach to inclusion and diversity really works that, that you've seen it just just take off and just produce results quickly and, and really effectively? Yeah, I think. I think that there's several places uh, where we've seen inclusiveness start to work and start to become a part of the culture. I would say um, my time here at Paychex, I have talked to a lot of different groups and a lot of those groups have started what we call inclusion committees. So that means being uh, the leaders on their teams to bring awareness around inclusion, to celebrate diversity, to have difficult conversations. Um, and we've seen one team um, in particular in our Lehigh Valley uh, location really, really take off with inclusiveness, including others, um, encouraging employees to use their voice and just creating a more engaged um, environment where people are starting to feel like they can be their full selves, bring their full selves to work. So it, that is really a good example of inclusion at work. And you've, you've also built out of a virtual community. We're, we're fortunate here at Paychex that we have technologies and tools that, that make staying connected possible, even though we're all you know, quite a ways apart from each other. Can you talk about how that community got started and, and how you're maintaining its vibrancy? Because people are absolutely throwing in and communicating and supporting each other there. Um, I kind of started that space. The thing about inclusion, it is a cultural change. So in that process, there is some disruption and a lot of people need support. Who, who can I talk to about this? Where is a safe space? So I created this space to network throughout the organization. So regardless of where you are located, but a safe space to have conversation, share ideas, share thoughts, share resources around inclusion and diversity. Um, so it really started out very small. Uh, when I first came into the organization, I was asked to do a MyLink article, so the publication that goes out into the entire organization. And a lot of people said, I want to be involved. I want to learn more. I want to be involved. So I got all these emails, and I'm like, hmm, what do I do with them? So I created this email group and say, well, this is a way that we can stay in touch. At the time, I didn't have anything for people to be involved in. However, I wanted to create a mechanism where we all can stay in touch and we all can talk to each other. And so it kind of grew now. And now we're up to almost 400 people throughout the organization 
um, in about a year or so. So um, it is really growing as a tool for people to, you know, communicate and share resources and kind of share the passion that they have around inclusion and diversity. So in terms of this, this community you've, you've been building, Deanna, do you think do you think it helps that you're a dedicated resource focused on this strategy? The reason I ask is many of our listeners are an HR department of one, and they're wearing a lot of hats, and it's tough to be perceived as creating a safe place when you are also responsible for so many other HR duties. Can you give, can you give those HR leaders some advice on, on how they can approach that and make people feel safe and welcome in such an environment? Yes, Rob. I think that it is important that the HR leaders, even if they are the only one in the organization, they also find others that are passionate around inclusion and diversity and just work with them to create a group and create a space uh, where they feel comfortable with discussing these issues and bringing awareness. So I, I think that HR leaders can't do it all. And even in my role, I can't do it all. So I really lean on those that have a particular passion around inclusion and diversity in the workplace to be the leaders of these groups, to cultivate these groups, to share their experiences. And with our um, inclusion and diversity uh, community, there's not much that I really do. People have really just poured into it on their own. I just really started the group. Um, I created the space, but also allow people to pour into it without judgment or without, oh, we can't say that or we can't do that, um, and really protecting that space. So I think that once people kind of have that space, they will start to grow and develop it on their own. It reminds me of culture and how people are constantly working on their company culture, to be more resilient, to be more nimble, to be more innovative. It feels like you're trying to, or and HR leaders interested in this, are trying to do the exact same thing. Inclusion is really about our culture and embedding inclusion into our culture and making it a part of every decision that we make. So inclusion and culture go hand in hand. Um, our culture, uh, project manager, the person that leads our culture, Tom Bachman, him and I are partners, and we really try to ensure that inclusion is embedded into our culture, um, and it is something that is always at the forefront of all the business decisions that we are made, and I tell a lot of people, inclusion is a journey, so there's no one place, and just like our culture, there's no one place where we will stop um, working on our inclusion. I haven't seen an organization that would consider themselves fully inclusive. So just like our culture, we are cons consistently making it better. Some people also ask about numbers. So what are the numbers associated with it? And, I, and we can definitely, and we definitely do have numbers in regards to our diversity, but it is uh, also a journey of becoming better and better and um, seeing the benefits of that. So it's a little bit harder to, um, to measure in regards to um, quantitative data. We can measure it through qualitative data, but I think it's just a matter, matter of becoming better and better at it. And I love that concept of a journey. I would never say our culture is done. We are constantly trying to reinforce it through the organization. Every new hire, we're trying to immerse and bring aboard. So yes, how could, you don't just do inclusion and then you're finished. 
you have to keep going on with it. And as time changes, people changes, our society changes. So were our, our culture. So were so will perceptions of inclusion and diversity. So with all those things, we have to keep evolving. And it's just like innovation. It is just like innovation. So what are the new ways? What are the different ways that we can uh, start to be more inclusive or to cultivate our culture a little bit more? So, yeah, again, it is a journey. So what do you think is happening out in the world right now, out, out in the American business world? Um, We've got a pandemic. We've got people closed or working from home. A lot of stresses. Now we've got the racial climate in the U.S. that is is changing, to to say the very least. We've got Pride Month and recent Supreme Court rulings around uh, LGBT rights. There's a lot of dynamics around this space. What do you see happening? You know, in professional, in the professional world, what are what are HR leaders doing to respond to these external forces? I would say that we see a lot of change happening, um, and we are really going through some growing pains as a society, even as a, a world. So the way that we previously thought about things, we thought about work, we thought about interacting with each other have all changed. And we have to respond to that. So we really have to uh, pivot, which is very challenging in all aspects of HR. Um, And I think that this is an opportunity to grow, to develop, to innovate, um, and to partnership. So what our different ways we can do the things that we've always done, what are better ways, what are more, um, you know, innovative ways. So I think it is really an opportunity for us to grow. I think a lot of times um, as professionals, we get caught in, you know, the automatic, this is the way we've always done it. We continue to do this way. We know that this works. But these times, although they are very difficult, are forcing us to change, to be better, to be faster, to be stronger. So I I think it really is um, a great opportunity um, also for us to become more aware of race and how it impacts us on a daily basis, um, as well as gender and as well as all of the different diversities. How do we start to be more inclusive and really start to have these conversations that we were always told we shouldn't have or those things shouldn't affect work when in actuality they really do. So I I think is now a time that is forcing us to be better. I think uh, that awareness factor is is a huge deal. Um, I suspect there's a lot of companies out there that think they're inclusive Mm -hmm. and probably aren't. What What should HR leaders look for to see, you know, warning signs or see hints that that their company needs to start addressing this more consciously, more proactively. Yeah. And I think the main thing that an HR leader can do is listen to the voices in the organization. What are people saying? Um, So, Uh, It it can be through a survey. It can be through interviews. Um, I would say take a more qualitative approach. But what are people saying? How can you get down to getting the authentic voice of the organization? And, And that will really tell you where you are and what work you need to do. That's a, uh, (laughs) a great point. Um, the authentic voice isn't always easy to get. 
especially when you talk about inclusion and diversity, because there is a particular fear around disclosing yourself or um, maybe, you know, just pointing out certain things that may make others uncomfortable. So there is a particular fear that people have um, associated with talking about these things or they don't feel like it's appropriate or, you know, different things like that. So I think that it, it is really hard to get the authentic voice, but that is what is needed in order to really have a true assessment of where you are. What other steps should an HR leader take if they want to start this journey to inclusion? Let's say they are, they're starting to become aware. They're starting to try to pull information. They're seeing that things aren't as good as they should be, that there isn't that, that true commitment to making change. How does, how does an HR leader motivate the organization to, to start that journey? I think it starts with the conversation with senior leadership uh, about what they are willing to commit to in regards to inclusion and diversity. What is their tolerance for disruption um, around the culture in regards to inclusion and diversity? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really starts with what, what is our commitment going to be? How are we going to start this off? So it really is, again, an authentic conversation with the CEO. What is our appetite for this? And and what are we willing to do in regards to resources, um, in regards to transforming our culture? So it it really starts with uh, what do we need to do and what what do we have? What are we willing to do? That takes me right back to what you were talking about, it being a a leadership strategy. Like so much we see in companies today, if it doesn't come from the top, it doesn't matter how good it is or how right it is, it's just not going to take root. It's not going to work. So you you have to really have that buy-in first and foremost, and also what are the resources that are going to be dedicated to making it happen? What are some other barriers that I should be looking out for? Um, say I've got buy-in. Say I, I know this is the right thing, and, 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 and I know it's going to be a journey. I know it's gonna, not going to be easy. What are some of those barriers to inclusion that, that I can anticipate and, and try to plan for? Um, I think the number one barrier that we all have um, is stepping outside of our routines and work. We usually have a routine and it depends on the work and it depends on the job, but usually people are so used to doing their job one way. It's hard to get people to step out of that uh, routine. So how do we get people to step out of their routine um, and think a little bit differently? Um, Another big thing is educating people around inclusion and diversity, and that starts with biases. So you have to start asking people to do the work to understand their own biases so that they can start to mitigate the effects of those in the workplace, which is very hard because people will be at different places. Um, Like I said earlier, it is an individual process, and some people are willing to kind of understand and grow their mindset around that. Some people are not willing to. So how do we get people on board? But also, how do we keep people accountable for inclusion and diversity and having inclusive mindsets and checking biases? So I think those are some of the biggest barriers, not only bringing awareness that bias exists, but how do we get people to reduce their own biases and also reduce biases in the moment when they happen, when decisions are being made? So I I think those are some of our our biggest challenges or anybody's biggest challenge. Yeah. And those are, those are huge challenges. Um, Getting people to rethink how they act 
in the moment. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big deal, Deanna. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it, it is a big deal. And one of the, the things that we can do is, in to, is to input mechanisms. So what are things in our systems that will make people have those hard stops to think a little bit deeper, examine their own biases? For example, in the hiring processes, there's several interventions or process changes that we can do that will allow people to make better decisions. It can be maybe panel hiring, removing personal identifiers, requiring um, percentages of diverse um, candidates. Um, so there's several different things that we can do that will allow us to address biases in the moment. There's probably so many more details and so much more we could cover that, that we're not going to be able to deal with in a, in a half hour podcast. Where would you recommend HR leaders go to to learn more, to find some of these resources and to build up their own skill sets and build up some of these processes within their own companies? Yeah, uh, Rob, and I think that there are several places. There, there are tons of information out there. Even today, there are so many different resources. So um, for an HR professional, I know a lot of HR professionals, they work with SHRM. That's a good place to get um, some content. There are several books. I would focus on topics, focus on um, biases in the workplace, um, unconscious bias, implicit bias. A big one in the workplace is microaggressions. So what are some resources around microaggressions um, in the workplace? Um, and just for anybody that doesn't know, those are microaggressions are those subtle things that happen um, that get in the way of people building effective relationships. And they're little, there's things that harm people or that hurt people um, and can be traumatizing to some people. So for example, things like, um, so you're really articulate, for a, for a black girl, and it's like, hmm, it's it's intended to be a compliment. However, it can have a negative impact, a negative connotation. And then people don't say, okay, there's microaggressions going on. They say, I don't feel respected. I don't feel valued. And, and that gets in the way of, of us partnering and cultivating those inclusive environments. Um, so there's microaggressions to look into. There's... Um, inclusion and diversity books, but I would really focus more on topics. There's information about civil rights, because that plays a role into our intentions around um, implementing um, inclusion and diversity. So there's several, several different things that people can look at, but I would focus on the topic, and I would also focus on the year. So things 2016 and above, um, I would focus on those. Um, publications like the Harvard Business Review, um, I would focus on that because that's real-time information um, that comes out weekly, and they also have um, a particular uh, section of their publication that is dedicated to all inclusion and diversity work. Um, I do a lot of work with Gartner, so that's our market research um, firm that we work with. So I get a lot of work um, information, insights from them, and also run strategy uh, with them. Um, so, so there's several places you definitely want to um, stay informed on current events because, again, they are informing the impact of inclusion and diversity every day. Um, so, yeah, th those are just some of the places. And as you start to dig deep, 
um, and create a network around inclusion and diversity, you'll also start to find more and more resources out there to help you. That's fantastic. And I, and I love um, how throughout your conversation or our conversation, you touched on some of the values that we hold so dear here at Paychecks, accountability and respect and partnership and innovation. Uh, it, I, I think it takes me back once again to the importance of culture and the, and the importance of acknowledging that, that we all have lives outside of the workplace. That's never been more obvious than it has been these last few months. And that we need to be aware that what's happening out in the world is impacting what's happening here at work as well. And I think that what is happening in our world has really kind of took the blinders off. We are no longer able to blur the lines between work and home. So we can go to work and be someone different and be home and be someone different. Where we are now, we have to be who we are at work and at home and kind of take that mask off. And it's, it's revealing so much for us um, and also providing that different lens that everyone has a different experience. Although we may all be experiencing COVID and the social unrest, it's all gonna mean something different, look like, feel like something different for each of us. And the faster we accept it, the better off we're all gonna be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Deanna, thank you so much. This was, this was a very fast half hour. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'm just looking forward to see how we grow as a society, as organizations become more inclusive and more diverse and actually are embedding that into their cultures. Thank you, Deanna. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. Once again, this was the Paychecks HR, HR Leadership Series. And you can also join us for the Paychecks Business Series hosted by Gene Marks, where we talk about a variety of small business topics that you might find interesting as well. Thank you once again. Bye-bye. This podcast is property of Paychecks, Inc., 2020, all rights reserved.